Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Freckled Foodie and Friends, a podcast focused on making healthy living approachable, hosted by yours truly, Cameron Rogers. Happy Friday, Freckled Foodie family. Today, we are joined by Kate Spees. She is the SVP and general manager, editor-in-chief at Well and Good, which I am a huge fan of a lot and all of the content that they produce, and I have been for a very long time, so I'm so happy to have her on here. She is a health and wellness expert originally from Sydney, Australia, which you will be able to tell because she has the most wonderful accent in the world. We dive into it just like for a second for me to just glorify how beautifully she sounds and also give my love for the Australian accent. Thanks to Summer Heights High for those of you who have seen that show, best show ever. Um, So today we discuss the wellness trends for 2021, which are trends that well and good releases every single end of year for the year to come based on what they've seen and what they are expecting for the following year. Personally, I am never, or I have not always historically been a huge fan of wellness trends. And we dive into this a lot in this episode, but I really love the direction that I think this industry is moving in and specifically the direction that Well and Good is moving in and the trends that they have chosen and what they expect to see for this year in a way more inclusive, affordable, and accessible reality for this industry that hopefully we will achieve. So I really enjoyed today's discussion. I think Kate is incredibly knowledgeable on the industry. And also, I just love hearing what she has to say and where she thinks we're going to go. So definitely check out the Well and Good Wellness Trends for 2021. It'll be linked in the show notes, but we do dive into them a bit. But obviously, the actual article is way more specific and detailed. So definitely check that out. And without further ado... Here is the episode. Please let me know your thoughts, rate, review, subscribe, do all the good stuff. Thank you guys for always supporting. Kate Spees, I'm so excited to have you because I am a huge reader of Well and Good, first and foremost. Like I talk about you guys a lot when I share my journey of leaving the corporate world and how did I know it was time. And my story is always, well, when there was downtime on the trading floor, I would sit on my computer and go through like the Well and Goods and the infatuations and read all these food blogs and never Wall Street Journal. So thank you guys for creating content that made me realize how much I want to be in the health and wellness industry. You are so welcome. Thank you for reading us and supporting our content. We're a big fan of yours as well. Oh, thank you so much. I've been a fan for a very long time and I'm super excited to have you here, not only to learn more about you and your role at Well and Good and how you got there, but also we are going to chat the wellness trends for 2021, which I think are super interesting, especially this year. I'm always interested in them, but Given the whirlwind that has been 2020, I think it's changed our outlook on life in general, but also just like how we do things, what we decide to spend money on. And it has created this new normal because it's not like the pandemic was, you know, what we all expected in the beginning. Oh, we'll be in quarantine for two weeks and then it'll be fine. (laughs) Like it's way longer than we ever imagined. And so I really do think in some ways, I hope it will have a lasting impact on the way we go about our lives because I personally, you know, it's been shitty and it's been really hard, but there are things that I have been grateful for and changes I've made that I do want to continue as I move forward. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes so much sense. 
clients and we've had so many versions of this conversation at work because I think the wellness industry in particular was really ripe for change and was heading in a certain direction that you know, wasn't wasn't necessarily the most accessible for all, inclusive of all. There was a lot of, uh, um, you know, a lot of issues around access. And what we have really seen is that this year has turned the entire wellness industry on its head across all verticals. And from that disruption is you know, there's some incredible change coming and change that I think will really create a better, more inclusive, more diverse, more equitable industry. And we are so excited about that at Well and Good. And I am absolutely with you that this year, the wellness trends are more interesting than ever. I obviously am biased and I always find our trends interesting, but we had to approach them differently this year and make them much more holistic just because so much incredible change and innovation is happening in the space. And it's changing so quickly. And something that you mentioned, I definitely want to just like harp on a bit and echo because I've said it before on my platform, like the wellness industry can be really intimidating and overwhelming and really exclusive. It's not accessible for all. It wasn't. I think we're going in that direction now potentially, but you know, there are huge, especially like cost barriers to be involved in the wellness industry and to feel like you're getting these benefits that everyone's talking about on Instagram. And I totally played a role in that as an influencer because I live in New York, which is a wellness bubble, as we know. Obviously, Mm -hmm. there are other ones like it like LA, but you know, it's not like the middle of the US that experiences a very different access to, you know, food and all these things that we're told we need, like infrared saunas and acupuncture. And while I love all of these things and I visit an infrared sauna and I do acupuncture and I do all of these things and I buy these things, I feel like I was playing a role in the influencer community that was pushing as if you needed them. And I think 2020 has really changed my vision on that because part of me was so deep in it that I thought I did need it, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I thought I needed that green smoothie or the spirulina shot or whatever, you know, whatever it might be, the IV drip. Because I was seeing it everywhere and because it became so normalized in New York, part of me did feel like I did need it or I wanted it because I wanted to be like everyone else and I wanted to be part of this exclusive cool club. But when 2020 hit and I kind of transplanted out of New York into my parents in New Jersey and those things weren't accessible anymore because a lot of them are in-person access and I started to realize how much money I was saving and I started to realize like I don't feel all that different. Yeah. I think those things help, but they're definitely not necessities. And I think for me, that's been one of the greatest wake-ups of 2020 of like, I still want to focus on feeling my best and I love exercising and I love eating food that makes me feel good, but it doesn't always have to be at such a high price point or exclusive access as I was experiencing. And that even goes for boutique fitness, to be totally honest. Yeah, no, absolutely. I couldn't co-sign everything you're saying hard enough it's I think what we've seen across the industry and for so many people is this throwback to the core tenets of wellness and almost the basics of wellness because truly wellness by definition is just the active pursuit of being well of being healthy and so many people have had this realization you know when the boutique fitness studios or the wellness clubs or the really kind of exclusive wellness um shopping experiences were shut down people 
were forced to stay safe at home, not everyone, but those of us lucky enough to stay safe at home were forced to really think about, okay, what is it when all of that is stripped away? What is it that helps me feel well physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually? And for so many people, they were reminded that some form of movement, particularly if it's outside and out in nature is really beneficial nourishing your body and cooking for yourself as much as is available to you is really beneficial. And that doesn't need to be super expensive. We've seen shelf stable goods have a real wellness glow up and wellness moment. And that's been awesome to see because you can get incredible food from a can or incredible food, um, that lives within your freezer. And then the other thing that I think is that has really happened and and you touched on this is for so long, for the last few years, maybe even for the last decade, self-care had become really synonymous with things and with commerce and with buying a expensive face masks to put on on a Friday night or buying a really like luxe bubble bath. And those things are really nice and of course have their place. And if, if you're someone who has the means to access those things and they make you happy, that's great. But I think so many people were reminded that if you strip away all of the things, what is so beneficial to self-care is community care and surrounding yourself with like-minded people who want to support you as much as you want to support them. And we're seeing this exponential growth of online communities that are really based around healing for various different people and various different communities. And it's really beautiful to see that self-care and community care have converged in this way. And to your point, the part of wellness that was so exclusive for the 1%, so inaccessible, is being deprioritized a little bit. And I think it's such a positive shift for the industry and just for the world in general, because if the industry of consciousness can't include as many people as prob- as many people as possible you know humanity has a real problem absolutely and you know not even to mention the fact that many of these wellness quote unquote trends that are what people think newer are really ancient yes. modalities that were created by, for the most part, marginalized people who have then been a bit whitewashed or culturally yep. appropriated and priced at a ridiculous expense that those original people who have created these things are being left out of. So I think that along with all the things we've discussed, I'm really hoping that that is also a part of this new trajectory of the wellness industry because I think it was getting a bit ridiculous in my opinion. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And just a small example that we have gone through this year at Well and Good, we had a lot of content around saging and smudging, you know, and and content that had lived on our site for years and years. And you know, post George Floyd's wrongful death, we realized and, you know, we always thought that we were trying, that we were working towards a more inclusive industry, that, you know, we were being as inclusive as possible as of various different QT BIPOC folks. And honestly, we weren't doing enough and, and we realized that as as a lot of you know the rest of the world came the rest of the white world I should say came to that realization and working with black indigenous other people of color within the space particularly talking to indigenous leaders you know we were we were reminded we were told that it is impossible for a white person to, you know, buy sage, practice smudging within their home and not be incredibly insensitive and culturally appropriative. And so we have in the last couple of months gone through our whole library of content and made a, you know, we had one very popular smudging story that we have kept up, but we have made a note of the mistakes that we made and the harm that we caused. And then 
recreated that article to try and inform our audience of this information that, you know, that we had, that we had been given by um, Indigenous leaders and then readed, you know, read the rest of our library of that kind of content. And that's just one really small example of how the wellness industry appropriated and commodified, to your point, this ancient modality that really they had they had we had no right to so i do think that there is an awakening to the vast difference between appropriation and appreciation and there are so many parts of the wellness industry that still need to be addressed and and harm needs to be recognized and we need to do the work to make sure that we're righting some of those wrongs. Absolutely. I think, again, this is just the tip of the iceberg and it's just the beginning. And I'm glad that it's happening, that we're starting this, but it's like so far from being over or I guess like the wrongs have not been right, right, Tinned. I don't even know if that's a term, but there's just so much more work to be done. And I think I'm so appreciative as a consumer of your content that you guys are doing this. And I think another thing that's interesting for me when I reflect on my career and the content I'm putting out there and my kind of industry, when you think even about the food aspect of cultural yeah. appropriation, that's huge, like massive. And you th- you look at all these food bloggers, myself included, who are saying like, oh, here's a healthy version, quote, quote unquote, healthy version of XYZ. And it's a dish that was never unhealthy, but basically they we've appropriated it and then filled it with expensive ingredients so that a very specific type of community can make it and completely whitewashed it. And so for me, when I started to realize this as I was doing my own kind of unlearning, I guess you could say, and having a conversation with people, I went through my platform. And again, like these recipes are ones that I make and I still think the food is delicious, the final outcome. However, I wanted to edit almost every recipe on my site that fell under this category and create context of like, well, here's the actual history of the dish. Here are the people that originally created this dish. This is the history of why they created it. These are the swaps I made that are not nece- that are not necessary whatsoever, but based on XYZ. So I do think it's important for anyone who's listening as a consumer or creator to always have that thought in the back of your mind. And if you're consuming something that makes you realize like, wow, this is really appropriating of a culture that has been marginalized. And, or you're in a class, you know, when we go back to more in-person things, especially things like yoga, you know, if you have these opinions, speak up because sometimes they might not even be aware. Other times they might be aware, but they feel like no one else is noticing, so they don't need to change it. And like, you know, we've heard over and over again, and we've been told over the past few months, like it's not enough to be not racist, but you have to be anti-racist. And that falls into this category, in my opinion, of using your voice to be like, hey, this should be changed. Yeah, a hundred percent. I think that that's such a good note. And I think something that we have been asking of our audience and a conversation that I have a lot with friends is if you are practicing things like yoga, or if you're going to get acupuncture, or if you're making a recipe from a food blogger and the practitioners or the chefs that you're following are white and they have appropriated this, you know, this modality or this recipe, it's really important to understand who trained them. Because when it comes to yoga, for example, if you do have a yoga teacher that you love and that person is a white person, really ask them who trained you. Was it someone of Indian descent who is really connected to this practice from a very kind of authentic and um, culturally competent place and and just do your research. I think that is one of my biggest learnings of 2020, really particularly within the wellness space because it's so unregulated in many ways, but particularly in this, you know, it is not 
there is no filter within wellness for cultural competency. And so it's really on people who are covering the wellness industry and part of it like us and then also consumers of it to do their research and really understand the content that they're consuming, where that content's coming from, and and that applies to you know, all different, all different touch points to the, to the wellness industry. And so I think doing the research and and putting in that time and effort to find out how people were trained, or also there are so many incredible practitioners in the wellness space that are, that come from the communities that have traditional ownership of these modalities, practices, cuisines, and even better, go direct to the source and support those people because there are so, so, so many incredible um, people in that space. Absolutely. I totally agree. And I know we like completely dove into this. I usually, my first (laughs) question is, but we just got going and I love it. So before we get any further into the actual wellness trends of 2021, I have to ask, how would you define success? It's such a great question. And it's something that I think about a lot. And for me, if I think about what it is to have a successful life, which is much more important to me than necessarily being successful at work or successful in just one facet of my life. I really think about what is it to have a successful life? For me, it's honestly achieving more happiness than feeling negative emotions, if that makes sense. So really for me, success is happiness. And I think it is truly not possible for any human being to feel happy all of the time. I think that's a myth. I think it's toxic positivity and it's it's not the kind of message that I want to put out there. However, for me, success in life is feeling happy more than I feel down. And if I can say that on aggregate, I have more happy days than sad ones, that's really, that's a successful life for me. I 100% agree. I really strive to be a happy person, but I still obviously like everyone else have down days. Today, actually, as we're recording this, I've had a shit show of a morning mm-hmm. and I've been in such a pissy mood, just like yeah. technology is not my friend business-wise right now. And I was just so angry. And then I get down on myself of like, you're not supposed to be angry. I'm like, no, fuck this. I'm allowed to have a bad day. I'm allowed to be pissed off. Like this is, I don't want this to be my norm and I want my happy days to outweigh them, but we can't have this toxic positive attitude of like, you always have to be smiling because I think it's bullshit. It is bullshit. And honestly, something that I've learned over the years is emotions don't exist in silos. And so you can't feel happy if you don't feel sad, you know, like emotions are completely coupled together and it's absolutely unrealistic and fake to expect that you only feel positive feelings without the negative ones. And I, you know, when you're in that space and you're annoyed and you just, thinking fuck the world it's easy to get dragged into that and feel sorry for yourself but in my more reflective moments I am able to see okay I'm glad that I'm someone that has a full spectrum of emotions that I have a pretty in-tune emotional registrar and then I am able to understand that feeling that bad stuff really allows me to feel the good stuff too and feel a level of gratitude for it. Again, this is not all the time and particularly when I'm feeling crap, you know, it's, I also am based in New York. I'm not able to get to my home, Australia for the holidays and that sucks. And so definitely I've had days recently as well where I felt sorry for myself and it sucks in the moment, but then I kind of am able to reflect a little bit once I'm through those emotions of, okay, well, I am very lucky that I have this beautiful home that is Sydney and that, you know, I will be able to talk to my family on Christmas over Zoom and I have the means and the ability to do that. So anyway, a big fan of feeling all the things and and just working through them as they come. 
You have to, because it, again, like you said, if you don't feel the downs, the highs aren't as high. Exactly. <laughs> and I, you mentioned Australia. I just have to say, I could literally listen to you talk all day long because I love Australian accents so freaking much. So I am jealous. I that wish is, I had one. That is so nice. And it's really funny. I always joke because in I lived in the UK for a few years when I was in my early 20s and there is just no appreciation for an Australian accent in the UK. <laughs> you know, they do not, they are not going, oh, we love the Australian accent. And so it's so funny to me when I moved to New York five years ago and people were so complimentary of my accent and I'm from Sydney. I have a very strong Australian accent and I love that Americans love Australian accents. It makes me feel so good because I have always had this view of Australian accents being kind of not polished and very broad. Oh, I love and, it. Anyway, so it's so nice of you to say that. Thank you. I mean, I just love accents in general, but Australian accents are one of my tops. And I have to ask, have you ever seen I, – I don't think it's Australian. I almost want to say the accent they do is – I don't know. Have you ever seen Summer High Tie? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. That is my favorite show. One yeah. of my favorite shows. Is yeah, it Australian? Really? The accent they're doing? Yeah, it's Australian. Okay. So that's what I thought. Yeah. So, like, so I and all of our friends, like we quote it all the time. We say it like, like constantly. <laughs> so I feel like I'm always doing this fake Australian accent. So I have a true appreciation for when it's real. That is so funny. Yeah. Chris Lilly is an Australian comedian. And so through Summer Heights High is like a really, um, I guess it's like almost a parody of an Australian accent. Right. Like they really do a very what we would call like a broad or bogan accent, um, which honestly mine isn't that far from, which is you know <laughs> both embarrassing and funny. Um, but no, such a such a great show, and and That's you know not show. so far from parts <laughs> of that are very ring very true for me. Oh my gosh, I love it so much. If you haven't seen it, please go watch it. It's so wildly inappropriate, but also amazing. Um, So on the wellness trends, going from Summer Heights High to Well and Good Wellness (laughs) Trends in 2021, great transition. I'm curious, you know, you guys broke it down into, I believe it's six categories, correct? Health, self-care, self-care, food, beauty, fitness, and home. Mm Mm-hmm. I looked through and I agree with a ton of them. And, you know, we've touched on a lot already, you know, way more cooking at home, obviously, way more fitness at home. You know, I was someone that was going to a fitness class probably four times a week. That has not happened since March. Um, For me, I rely heavily on different platforms like Obey Fitness and Peloton. I just, my parents have had a Peloton bike for, I want to say like six years. They were like, wow. Oh, they were early early adopters. Totally early adopters. Maybe it's – I honestly think it could be. I got to ask them when they got it. And my husband and I just pulled the trigger to get one for our apartment because we've become officially obsessed. So I totally agree with so many of these trends, but I'm curious what like some of your top trends are that you are excited for in 2021 that's included in this list. Yeah, it's a great question. And I've been asked this question a little bit and I am so close to them. So it's really, it's really difficult to answer, but I have, pardon? It's like asking a parent who their favorite child is. Yeah, exactly. Like I really, you know, just so much work goes into these trends from the whole team. They are reported out for literally months and fact-checked and fact-checked again and hundreds of sources are spoken to and then myself and our executive editor read through them and top edit them three times and so I am I am too close but some of my some of my favorites in the fitness arena I really do love this big push towards omni-channel fitness because like you this year, I also got a bike for the first time. It's not a Peloton. However, I do fashion it. You know, I do uh, link, put put my iPad there right. and do Peloton classes. So, you know, it's like a fake Peloton. Um, but 
I really love that when it comes to fitness next year, I people are going to be working out truly in whatever way suits them. They'll be doing it in their homes. When it comes to IRL, they'll be doing it in studio, but also outdoors. And we're also seeing this push towards people re-embracing restorative modalities. It's been such a tough year on so many different fronts. And I think people just really wanted to be back inside their bodies in a very mindful way that felt like it was giving them a sense of calm. And for so many people that meant stretching or modalities like yoga. And so I think that that's a really nice shift because fitness doesn't have to be go hard or go home every time. And so it really feels like across the fitness industry, there is just a space and a modality and a type of a type of working out that is that is going to be really suitable for everyone which i think is awesome one of the other trends that i also really love and we touched on this a bit is that idea of self care as community care i won't go too deep into this because we did talk about it earlier but just moving away from the productization of self care back to creating these real connections with people, whether that be virtually, as we will continue to need to do while the pandemic is still so rife in the US or or then IRL when things are safer to do so. I think there is nothing more important to longevity and to happiness than human connections. So I think that is a beautiful and really positive trend. And then something else that I think is just so transformative and amazing is the rise in telemedicine and really teletherapy being one of the areas that not only are so many more practitioners entering that space because of changes in regulation and also insurance coverage, but also so many more Americans are now comfortable accessing teletherapy. And in a year where per the CDC, one in three Americans are reporting increased feelings of stress, anxiety, and depression, because of course people are, it's been an awful year. I think that it is so exceptionally important that we we are seeing this increase in access. And coupled with that increase in access allowed by teletherapy, we are seeing various different QT, BIPOC platforms, directories, and practitioners creating safe healing spaces for communities of colour and other marginalised, disenfranchised communities that previously haven't been able to necessarily get the care that they need because therapy as a, um, as a you know, therapies has been very, very whitewashed and over 90% of therapists are white and it is really hard to get the kind of mental care treatment that you need if you don't feel like your therapist has cultural competency. And so the innovation in this space to make sure that QT, BIPOC people are able to find the kind of care that they want and need is such a great and important step forward in my opinion. And so those are three of the trends that give me so much hope for the future and make me feel that the wellness industry is really heading in a direction where it will be more inclusive and helpful for more people. Um, But as I say, I really do feel pretty strongly about all the trends because they went through such such an extensive vetting process. So I would love for everyone to go and read all of them. Oh, of course. They will be in the show notes for everyone to read. But I do think it's interesting whether you're in the industry or not. And I think two things you mentioned I just want to echo, you know, restorative rest, not like beating ourselves up to exercise 24-7 has been so huge for me over the past two years. And it started pre 
COVID quarantine, but I think has just kind of even strengthened over that time. And I think we're finally realizing that we don't need to push ourselves to these mass extremes, but because we lived in New York a lot of us, that was just the norm. So I'm huge on that. And then also I'm a huge proponent of therapy. I was seeing my therapist in person once a week. Now, obviously we're doing it over video chat. Wow. I don't know what we'll do post COVID. I mean, I'll have a baby at that time. So I'll almost rather prefer to be still doing it over video chat just for my ease. Who knows? But I think I just did a partnership on Instagram. I can link it in my show notes, but with for hers that has this incredible new online platform connecting people with therapists. And, you know, I do think that now it's becoming way more accessible and hopefully affordable as we continue to move forward. Because for me, therapy has been a huge part of my life, but it's fucking expensive. And, you know, I wish more than anything, everyone could have access to therapists. And I'm hoping that as we continue down this path, that will be the case no matter your geographical location or financial means. So I'm big on that trend as well. Yeah, it's so important. I'm also a big, you know, a very big supporter of therapy. And I, I'm really with you that I hope as many people as possible can over the next kind of coming few years and decade get access. And an incredible thing that I've seen various different practitioners doing in the space is offering a sliding scale payment um, option, which feels like such an incredible step and really something that we, I at least had not seen a lot of pre-2020. Yeah, I think it's definitely the first step of many to come. So obviously, everyone, please check out the wellness trends. I will link them in the show notes. And honestly, if this had been last year and you guys were like, we'd love to come on to talk about this, I'd probably be like, honestly, I love you guys, but no, like wellness trends are just not my jam. But I'm really happy with the direction that I think this industry is moving. And because of that, I do want to promote these things because I do think that we're moving in we're taking a little bit of a pivot and we're moving in the right direction. And I no longer feel that kind of like, eh, almost like how I feel when I say I'm an influencer. There's this little bit of like, oh God, I hate that word. I kind of felt that way when I said I was in the wellness space, to be totally honest. Yeah. <laughs> and no. I'm really feeling like that's changing. Yeah. I feel, I feel exactly the same. And I've always loved what we've done at at well and good since I've been there I've been there for nearly three years now and I've felt proud of a lot of our work but really wellness was becoming synonymous with so many things that I didn't support and I didn't feel were good for humanity and so to feel this year like some of the wrongs are being righted to your point we're just at the very very start of the work that needs to be done but to feel like there's an at least now a better awareness of that work and that this is something that we are all responsible for correcting makes me feel much more positive and proud to be in this space Absolutely. So thank you so much for coming on here, for taking the time, for the work that you're doing. Everyone definitely go check it out. It'll be in the show notes. And then to close, bringing it to kind of, I guess, your favorite, not trends, but almost, what are the three ways to your heart through food? Such a great question. So the first one is just someone cooking for me. I love cooking, but I do a lot of it during the week, which just isn't as fun, you know, making a rush weeknight dinner um, while you're trying to do 15 other things is is just really, uh, it's not conducive to feeling great about about being in the kitchen. And so if, if someone really wants to get, you know, impress me and make me feel kind of special, cooking a meal for me is something that I appreciate so, so much. Um, the second way is I am celiac and whenever I am, whether someone's cooking for me or we're going out to eat, when someone makes the step to, and I don't expect this, which makes it even more kind of special feeling and thoughtful, but when someone takes the extra step to like check that the menu has 
gluten-free options or they cook for me being really aware of making all ingredients gluten-free it just feels like such a thoughtful nice gesture because if you're not someone pardon it is that's such a nice gesture it is yeah it is because if you're not someone who has you know an intolerance or a serious allergy it's so annoying to have to cook in this weird way or to be you know to have to think about whether the restaurant offers the kind of thing that you know someone with um, allergies or intolerances can eat and so that's that's just a, a nice special thing that always makes me feel grateful and then the third way is I also really love the supermarket like I really really love the supermarket I love trying new ingredients I love seeing you know new brands being stocked on the shelf and so whenever someone tells me about a new brand that they love or a new ingredient that they've been using that they find really awesome that's something that's knowledge that I love to receive and I think it's you know when someone shares what they love with me and you know what they have what they've been kind of testing and using that's that's something that I um, really appreciate as well. I definitely agree. I freaking love a good supermarket so much. Um, Well, Kate, thank you so much for joining us. If people are interested in hearing more of what you have to say, where is the best place for them to follow you? Yeah. So I am at Caitlin Elise on Instagram. And then of course, at I am well and good um, on Instagram for well and good in general and wellandgood.com for all of our daily wellness content. That will all be in the show notes. And thank you again for joining us. This was so informative and awesome. Thank you so much, Cameron. Guys, I am the worst. I literally forgot that I was going to record this ending today. So I forgot to do listener cues yesterday. I'm just all over the place. But I will say today, as I'm recording this, is four o'clock on inauguration day on by dawn day and it's been a motherfucking celebration i have been glued to the tv all day which is why i just remembered that i had to record this and also why i just don't feel like i have a lot to say and i don't want to just like ramble and waste your guys time um but it just feels for the first time hopeful and like I, I, there's nothing else more to say than we did it, Joe. And honestly, today I noticed that when I give birth to our son, I can turn to Joe and so appropriately say, we did it, Joe. And that makes me really happy. Um, but honestly, it's been just a magical morning of hope and celebration. And there's so much fucking work to be done. You know, we can celebrate today. Tomorrow we start the work. But in this moment, we can celebrate and just hopefully move on from what has been the last four years. So I hope everyone had a great inauguration day. Um, I hope everyone's having a great Friday. I hope you are doing something special this weekend, even if it's just cooking a meal that makes you happy. You know, we have to find joy in the small things this year. Hence my Freckled Foodie Sunday Smiles post of smiling at the little things. It really is the little things. And today felt like a very big thing. So that's honestly all I have to say. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. I really found it so interesting. Actually, you know what? I do have more to say. We can talk about hate following because I do think that's kind of tied in on this. So I have really struggled with the concept of being like an influencer. I just don't like that word at all. Um... I just feel very disassociated from it and from the type of person that media portrays as a quote-unquote influencer and even like what a lot of influencers are. And I don't mean to sound holier than thou because I'm not and they are way more successful than I am. So like who's laughing now? They're clearly doing something right. But I'm sorry, I get so out of breath talking. Um, But I clearly just feel disconnected and... 
especially when it comes to health and wellness. I was talking to my therapist about this today. Like when I went on my stories the other day and said that I was going to get vaccinated as soon as it was available to me, assuming I'm still pregnant, like I will still be getting vaccinated pregnant. Um, Then that's because my doctor is very pro-vaccination and I trust her and I trust science. I got all these messages being like, thank you for saying you trust science. Like it, it's so wild to me that that's some like rare concept for to come from a health and wellness influencer. Like I just feel, and there's a very interesting art, article and I forget the title, but it was basically like how health and wellness influencers and, you know, we're kind of tied in. I forget. I'm going to screw this up, but we're tied in, in a sense to the riot at the Capitol. And it's, it, a lot of like the toxic positivity content and the don't believe everything you read or don't believe science or don't believe the media, like that kind of shit can lead as a consumer for you to be given QAnon stuff. And then you get sucked into QAnon things. And obviously that's like a very wide and like kind of large leap, but like not huge. And I'm not saying it happens all the time, but I do see the tie in. And it was just so interesting for me when I talked about that. And then when I talk about anti-anxiety medication and especially being on a while pregnant, like I get all these messages saying, thank you for believing in science and promoting it. Like that shouldn't be a crazy concept in my opinion, but I think it is in like the quote unquote health and wellness industry. And so I've always really struggled with that label influencer and health health and wellness. And I talk about that in this episode because I mentioned like if this had happened two years ago or last year and they were like, well and good wanted to do their trends. I'd be like, no, I'm sorry. Like I'm not interested because I don't think I would agree with any of them. And this is the first year that I feel like we're finally turning in the right direction as a health and wellness industry and leaning away from like the holier than thou, only white thin women can be involved like all of that kind of shit and we're leaning into more inclusivity and it does not everything has to be so fucking expensive and I think that that really shows in these trends and that's the reason that I felt comfortable and was interested in having this conversation um the reason that this ties into hate following and if you've been watching my stories you know what I'm talking about I am fascinated by the concept of hate following and when I say that I mean actively searching someone's account who you know you dislike, but still going to consume their content. And the reason this came up, and the reason I think it ties into this conversation, is because I, too, last night, so I guess Tuesday night, or maybe it was Monday night, I don't even remember, I sent my younger sister Lucy this influencer story, who I don't even follow, but I go and look at her stories, which is so fucking toxic of me, but I do it. And I sent Lucy her stories and I was like, she drives me so fucking insane. I hate her. And I'm like, that's not that rare of me to do. So I'm like everyone else. Um, But as I was sending that on the flip side, as a creator, I received this message saying that my pregnancy content 24-7-365 was insufferable and all this stuff. And my response was like, Bitch, if it's insufferable, unfollow me. I'm not tying you to a chair and making you watch my content. If you don't enjoy it, there's a really, really awesome and easy thing you can do to not see it. And it's called unfollowing. And it was interesting for me to unpack the two at the same time. Because I was like, okay, I'm telling this person to unfollow me if she hates my content so much. Yet I'm actively going to search out this person's content who I don't like. Like, why am I doing that? And obviously, I think messaging the person and like attacking them for their content in like a not even not even like a constructive way, just downright dismissive way is not that that's like a whole nother thing that I'll never understand. But it was just like, why am I doing this if I see it on the other side and it's so dumb? And then someone also DM'd me that the reason they found out about my account is because they heard people in our hometown talking about me, like that they quote unquote hate follow me. And they're like sour about my influencing. I don't really know um, details. I tried to get the tea, but that's all I got. And 
it's so interesting to me. And I asked you guys, like, why do you think we do this as a society? And then I tried to unpack it with my therapist personally. And I think the main reasons that came out were, one, we love to watch a train wreck. It's the same reason people love reality television. I personally don't like reality TV, so I don't think that's the reason I do it. Two, we like to feel better about ourselves. So if you're feeling guilty over something or you're down on yourself and then you watch someone else and you see they're doing shit, you're like, well, I'm not as bad as them. And like, it does make you feel like you're a better person in a sense. And I think that that plays a role in why I do this. And then three, I mean, we just like drama and hating and talking shit on people. Like, I'm not saying this is a good thing, but as a society, we like to do it. And four, I think people were just like, I just like to be in the know. Even if I don't like this person, my friends talk about her, I like to know. I think for me, a large part of it, based on the conversation I had with my therapist, is because I feel so disassociated from the term influencer and I like want to fight back on it and I hate it, I almost feel like when I watch these, some of these people's stories, it gives me the satisfaction and the like confirmation that I'm not like them. And I don't think this is right. And I think it's very holier than now. And I think I need to stop. But I'm just saying... I'm being honest, when I watch their story, I'm like, okay, Cam, you're not as bad as them. Like, you're not doing that. Like, you are better. And it's ironic because, I mean, better is, you know, depends on what you're looking at. But they're doing much better, like, career-wise than me. And I'm not going to go do their stuff. But I think I also need to, like, chill with the judgment. And what I also said in my stories is like all of us as consumers, we need to realize that even if you're hate following someone, you are giving them the views and you are helping them. And I said to the people who are hate following me, I take your views and I send those metrics to brands and I get paid more money because of it. They don't know that you're hate following me. They just see eyes. They just see following. And even if you're not following, but you're watching my stories, that's what I'm talking about. And like I say this not only as a creator, but also as a consumer doing this to other people, like that's helping us get paid more. And if you really dislike this person so much, maybe that'll be like the incentive for us to stop doing this. I don't know. I wish I had the fucking answers, but I think it's a really interesting topic. And I think it's just something to like pay attention to. And I'm going to try and pay attention to it. It, You know, when I'm in those moments and I go to look at this person's profile, I'm going to stop, ask myself why I'm doing it. Like, what is the feeling I have that's leading me to do this? Why do I care? Why do I want to feel that emotion at the end of watching their stories? And just unpack it. You know, now I'm just bringing it to people's attention because I just think it's something that we should be aware of. And I told you I didn't have anything to say yet. I just talked for 10 plus minutes. And this is why my teacher told me I could talk to a wall. I hope you guys have a great weekend. I love you. Thank you for listening. You guys, thank you so much for listening to today's episode of Freckled Foodie and Friends. It really means the world to me. It means more to me than you could ever know. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please head over to wherever you consume your podcast and rate and or review the show. It not only helps the show's growth, but it really makes my day when I go through and read all of the reviews. If you aren't already, please follow along over on Instagram at Freckled Foodie for my way too active channel and at FF and Friends Pod for more information on the podcast. I hope you have a wonderful day and I can't wait to give you the next episode.